0: This is Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets. Welcome to the Pet Health Coach with Jodi L. Teich, formerly called the Hound Healer. I'm Jodi. I'm going to take a moment for this first, the Pet Health Coach episode to answer a question some of you may not know the answer to. What is a pet health coach? Human health coaches have gained a lot of popularity in the recent few years, and they help people achieve their health goals with support. A pet health coach is similar. I'm your trusted advisor, your knowledge transfer person sharing what I've learned over the years, and I bring resources in, whether it's an expert like a holistic vet to work in an area needing deeper knowledge, or a specialized trainer. Think of me as the quarterback running the ball of your pet's health plan down the field with you, making it all understandable, meeting you where you are, because not every pet parent is ready to do everything right away, and pulling all the pieces together and being your champion, the pet goals to achieve the health goals you have for your pet. So I hope this clarifies the container that this podcast resides in. And I'm thanking my guest today for the latitude to do this so my audience understands the transition. Like on The Hound Healer, the Pet Health Coach will focus on natural ways of healing and sharing information with with interviews with experts in the nutrition and natural healing space. Today, we have Jeannie Joseph on the show. Jeannie is a PhD and the executive director of the Human-Animal Connection, a 501c3 organization dedicated to changing the way humanity relates to our animals. Jeannie and her team bring therapy animals and people together and they offer, and this is really a beautiful thing, free therapy dog visits to veterans, active duty people, Healthcare providers and anyone experiencing stress in the field of service to others they offer a whole lot more and we're going to get into it right after this short message from our sponsor so grab that healthy beverage get comfortable and we'll be right back take a bite out of your competition advertise your business with an ad in pet life radio podcasts and radio shows health coach with Jody L. Teich. We're here today with Jeannie Joseph, the executive director of the Human-Animal Connection. Welcome, Jeannie. Thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure, and thank you for allowing me that long introduction to explain to my listeners this transition from the hound healer to the pet health coach. Before we get started, I want to my listeners to understand about the human animal connection. What is it in scope? How did you come to this work?
1: Yeah. Well, I began a program called Act Resilient, which uses laughter and comedy, improvisation, expressive arts, and I was working with the military in Hawaii, and we were very effective. We were getting over 80% reduction in the symptoms of PTSD, and so it was a very effective program. In fact, we even were given several national awards and President Obama's Volunteer Service Award, an award from the American Psychiatric Association, all kinds of good stuff. So we were doing great. But a couple of years into the program, I began bringing therapy animals into working with, with soldiers and actually all branches of the military. We work with all branches. And what I saw was, oh, my God, what a dog can do in 10 minutes. Why am I working so hard? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you
0: know? One of your like success stories, his wife, he, has, he had PTSD. His wife said that you did more to help him. In a few sessions than 10 years of therapy.
1: Yes. Wow. Yes, it was um, amazingly effective, although it was so far outside the box, it was a little bit hard for some people. Anyone in the class understood it, but the you know the, the generals and things were a little bit like, what? <laughs> What's she going <laughs> New She's territory. She wants to bring a horse into the hospital? What?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I want to dive deeper into that. Yeah. But first, I think that it's really interesting how your past work, whether it was as a dog trainer or in the entertainment field, informs what you created. Tell listeners a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, I was in the movie business, so I was your typical type A person living in New York City. <laughs> that and, was uh, me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had I had a cat who actually Um, adopted me she was out and it was the middle of winter and you know what New York winters are like and there was this teeny little thing and I at this point I had a ground floor apartment and I heard the sound like somebody breaking in and I you know I had had people break in that was like my third break in so I'm screaming you know at this little thing and I hear (laughs) 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 so I said all right well it was interesting because, you know, you're a spiritual person. You'll understand this. I had been getting guidance that I was going to get a cat. And I there was no way that I could have a cat with my movie business person. You know, I just was too busy, you know, for, even for a cat. I was too busy for a caterpillar. <laughs> <laughs> but I, so I said to myself, okay, I am just going to open the door and give this cat some milk and that'll be it. I'm not going to, you know, that's it. I just don't want this thing to starve. This tiny little thing, you know, not a full-grown cat. And the cat walked right past the milk and into my door, That door, my door was open and just made himself at home. And he was the most amazing, everybody says this, all cats are amazing, but you know how it is. It's the most amazing cat.
0: My cat's the most amazing. That's the yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We all have the most amazing cat. Everyone has the most amazing cat. So, so one of the things this cat, I realized that this cat was very intuitive. So I would have a couple of movie scripts sitting on the floor, and I was trying to decide which project to focus on, and put them down on the floor. And Wolfie, his name was Wolfie Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. He would go and pick the one. He would sit on the one that he thought was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and he was always right I mean you know it was like I was like yeah you know that one is better <laughs> You know, that is hilarious so I began to really trust him he had better instincts about people and especially about men than I did you know he he just knew who was a good person you know and and that really got me started with thinking about animal wisdom you know what is it that they know and sense that's beyond kind of our human capacity to make decisions and and obviously I'm not going to let an animal make all of my important life decisions but I'm certainly going to check in and see you know what is this what is this animal you know what's he sensing or feeling or noticing and you know that if you if you've had it shared your life with a dog you know that they'll walk down the street and they'll pick who they're interested in you know some people just just walk on by they don't want to engage other people it's like they have to stop they have to sniff they have to touch they have to kiss you know yeah. and it's like oh my god you know and then I when that happens I go yeah you know this is person of interest <laughs> you know I, I just i take a moment to just recognize that this was an important choice that this my little sophia my little doggie now i say little because she's about 25 pounds you can't see the picture i'm holding up if you're on audio but anyway she was a rescue from the shelter i now live in tucson and i was volunteering at the shelter there and i had just moved here so i didn't even have an apartment and my friends that had were hosting me they had only one rule No animals. (laughs) (laughs) You can live here but no animals. And so I was volunteering at the shelter and I was actually doing a program for at-risk kids where we teach them how to do dog training as a way of helping them understand their own emotions and building confidence and so on. And so this little Sophia, she was at that time about 15 pounds and she was terrified. She had this huge cone on and the shelter worker was dragging her and she took one look at me. I was just standing there on the side, you know, and she leapt into my chest. I mean, like just trusting that I would catch her, which I did. Wow. <laughs> and it was like, she decided, you're my person. I don't care if you don't have an apartment. I don't care if you just moved to Tucson. I don't care if you don't know anyone except the one friend you're staying with. You're going. You're, <laughs> you're my person. I'm coming with you. I'm coming with you, right? And she had been a feral dog. She had been in several shelters. She had been tossed around through several shelters. And to put it bluntly, I did finally get an apartment because I had to have her. <laughs> so um, I found a foster who could take her into i got settled but i got this apartment and when i first got her she was feral i mean the maintenance men were afraid of her if we were walking down the street they would go on the other side of the sidewalk they would make a beeline around to avoid us because she was so terrifying and i'm talking 20 pounds of pure terror a street dog right so anyways Short version is we've done a lot of training and a lot of healing, a lot of energy work, and she has passed her therapy dog test, and she's now my sweet little therapy dog, and she just melts hearts when people meet her. And uh, as we'll probably talk about the program we do in the high school. We are just going to.
0: Yes, we're going to talk about that too. That's an incredible story. And what a journey. I didn't even realize, Jeannie, that you were a fellow type A New Yorker. So oh, yeah. I yeah. totally feel you. I get yeah. it. <laughs> but things have changed. And actually, everyone will get a chance to see Sophia because... We have a beautiful photo of her as well as of Jeannie on the the Pet Health Expert page of the Pet Life Radio site. So you'll be able in the show notes to see photos as well. Yeah. Yeah, so they can meet her. So when I was looking on your site and researching for my interview with you, you mentioned phrases like connecting to a sense of goodness or Mm -hmm. a massage for the soul. You absolutely have created your own kind of process in bringing therapy animals and people together. And I'd love for you to explain a little bit about what that
1: is. Well, thank you for asking. So Our work, The Human-Animal Connection, is based on 33 principles, and these are also methods, so they're very practical, so there are exercises that people can do if they want to learn this work, and that's all in my book now, so people can get that book. It's available on Amazon, and the first principle is what we call good medicine. What we mean by that is there is a force in the universe of goodness, just as there is a force in the universe of not-goodness, so I'm not in any kind of denial that there ungoodness out there, what i recognize is that it's so important for us to be able to choose where our focus is. Is our focus on what's good? Is our focus on what's not good? Because whatever we're focusing on, we're going to get, obviously get more of in our experience. And this is one of the things we teach the high school students is to recognize that where they put their focus, they're going to, that's what's going to have their energy. So I give the metaphor, if you've had a dog, or maybe you say this to your cat, you know, you go, who's a good doggy? You know, we say this, you know, all the time. A lot of us do, <laughs> dog owners. And what it does is that it's good for the dog, but it's also good for us so when we say good doggy we get the experience of the love we feel for the animal and the animal returns that with a gaze or a tail wag or a cuddle and we get this little cycle of goodness going back and forth between us and them so the more we say it the better it gets because they love being acknowledged for their goodness and they love to acknowledge us for our goodness too and that's one of the reasons why therapy dogs are so powerful is that they see our essence they see our goodness not our, you know, how much money we have or what kind of car we drive or what our career is or what our skin color is or what's wrong with us. They see our goodness and that exchange of good energy is a force. (laughs) It's not just like an abstract idea. I mean, it's real. It's real and we now know from the studies that interacting with a therapy animal or an animal you love can help you release the feel-good chemicals, the brain chemistry of oxytocin, serotonin and all that. So, we're not just making this up. Now, the science, is recognizing yeah something real is happening here it is lowering blood pressure it's increasing your immune function just being in this good energy and so that is what we call what I call the goodness tank so there are certain things in life that fill up our goodness tank like being with our animals or doing anything that we love or following our passion and there are certain things that cause our goodness tank to leak you know goodness tank in quotes metaphorically speaking but in life there are interactions with people that either raise us or leave us at the same level or take us down in some ways you know whether through the judgment or whatever it is that gets us stuck you know and so what I realized is we have to protect our goodness tank we have to fill it and continue to refill it because it's going up and down all the time every day and we actually what we encourage our students to do is really make a like what is it that helps you to feel good and it can be something small Like one of my go-tos is raspberries. I lived in Hawaii for 25 years and raspberries were really expensive. And my ex didn't want us to spend money on raspberries because he thought that was too frivolous. (laughs) I thought they were a (laughs) necessity. It shows you why we're not together. is the raspberries. <laughs> so we're still best friends. But whenever I think about raspberries, I love the texture. I love the taste. I love the color. I love the way it feels in your mouth. You know, it's just everything about raspberries makes me feel good. So these are things that I have like in my goodness escrow account that I can just call up and help to fill my goodness tank. So it could be something as simple as raspberries, or your pets, or people you love, or things you love. And what we want people to do is connect to the actual sensation of goodness. So not just the idea of goodness, not just the thinking about goodness, not the good, bad, like the moral judgment of goodness, but the actual sensation of goodness. And when we're with animals, that's what we feel when we're with with animals we love, we feel this goodness. That's why it was so therapeutic with the soldiers with PTSD. That's why it's so therapeutic for doctors who are stressed. That's why it's so therapeutic for high school students and for everybody that needs just a little lift of goodness. So we really believe that it's a sense like sight touch, taste. There's a sense of goodness. And the more we orient towards that, and that's something we would learn from the dogs, dogs will orient towards what feels good, what's nice. And we can learn from that.
0: What a beautiful way to describe that very visual, the goodness tank. So true. And yes, it helps strengthen our immune system. And when they feel happy, because we're doing more of what they love too, whether it's cuddling with them, loving them. It does the same for them. It increases their, strengthens their immune system. That's right. It is a beautiful exchange.
1: And it's like a circle of goodness. You know, It we acknowledge it in them and we, and what I then teach the, our students is, you know, you're acknowledging it in the dog. It's easy to say, Sophia's a good doggie, but what about you? You know, so it's like, okay, so I'm a good doggy. Well, maybe I'm not a doggy, but I'm good. You know, I can say, I, you know, I say, good Sophia, good doggy, And then I say, good genie, good genie. I don't have to say that loud. You know, it's just a feeling. It's something that we can do. It's like a little self-soothing technique that has no side effects and it's free.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting that you say this because there's a vet in Australia and one of the things that he teaches pet parents to help with anxiety in, in animals is a touch therapy. And he actually asks the pet parents, because, you know, emotional transference all day long, they're so intuitive, our, our animals, and we are constantly sending energy to them and, and vice versa. Is he, he says, imagine yourself as your favorite breed of dog, let's say. And really imagine yourself and now give yourself a name make it real. And then imagine yourself doing good doggy to that animal and give yourself a nice big hug like you would if that was a dog next to you that you love. Love it. Yes. So (laughs) it's very much in keeping what you're talking about with what you're talking about. Yeah. So I want to set the stage a little bit for what we're going to talk about next. You did a little bit before when you talked about being a part of, you know, the entertainment industry, certainly, but my listeners don't know that you are an Emmy award-winning filmmaker. So tell us a little bit about that. And then I want to do a deeper dive into what you termed the act resilient method, but let's start with your filmmaking.
1: Yeah, so I was in the movie business for 25 years. I had my own company. I did mostly low-budget movies in New York than in Hawaii when I was living in Hawaii. And I didn't think that there was anything better in life than being in the movie business until I discovered animals. (laughs) And then it was like, and I was, you know, even in Arizona, I was president of independent film Arizona here for three years. And, and it was just like overnight, I, I never thought I would leave the movie business. I just like, how could people not be in the movie business? It was just like, you know, it was the whole world to me. And then all of a sudden, I discovered something that was more meaningful. And I literally let go of that movie life I mean I still do some consulting people will consult with me for scripts they'll hire me as a script doctor re or something So I do still still do some I'm an I'm still a judge toe at,
0: in. yeah
1: yeah toe in I'm still a judge at the Emmy Awards and occasionally I'll I'm a judge in one of the top screenwriting competitions and worldwide yeah so nice. yeah I have a little hand in but mostly I I think that let me tell you how it's going to – it'll all come together. Here's how it's going to come together, is that I do have a idea for a TV show about a kind of a Dr. Doolittle who talks to animals. So, to really encourage people to normalize that, that, you know, talking to animals is is a good and natural thing and a smart thing because often they have wisdom <laughs> that they can offer. And I just want to – help people understand that that's not something that just a few people can do but it's something that anybody can do and most children do it naturally and uh, you know many children hear also they hear from animals and that's something that as adults we can have in our life so that notion of storytelling and you know here i've told you a couple of stories here. just entertainment is the way we're going to change the world i think so i think pet entertainment and i'd love to talk with mark a little more afterwards you know find out what you know his thoughts of that on but it's just uh It's the one thing that reaches across the aisles. Like we can't agree on this, that, and the other, but we can agree that we love animals, most of us. I mean, not everyone, obviously not everyone loves animals, but I think a lot of people do. And I think that that's a way to really change the culture. And our mission is to change the way people relate to animals. And what we mean by that, there's so many levels of that, but on the most basic level, it's the recognition that animals have an inner life. They have emotions, they have thoughts, They have opinions. Now, if we were doing this radio show 10 years ago, I would be considered a freak, (laughs) you know? 10 years ago, that would be like, you know, who's this weirdo you have on your show, Judy? What are you doing now? You've gone into the woo-woo zone. (laughs) But now that we have scientists who are out there giving us the evidence for this, you know, dogs that can go into MRIs awake and they can see that their brains are lighting up just almost the same as a human brain would in terms of the emotions. And we have much more evidence than ever before about animals having an inner life. And in the human-animal connection, one of the things we say is that animals have opinions. They like what they like. They don't like what they don't like. And this is such an important thing to recognize because it begins to change the notion of pet ownership and move it towards pet partnership. And that's what we're all about.
0: Absolutely. I think one of our greatest short sighted shortcomings is those of us who look at animals as these creatures that we sort of rule over. Reign over. I love the idea of partnership. And, you know, there are so many stories and movies made from these stories about animals that intuitively know things that are going to happen before they happen, or, you know, they stay by the side of their loved parent, pet parent, uh, partner when they're ill or find help or, you know, when they've passed there's just so many of these stories of animals who just know things that we maybe didn't think that they could know.
1: Absolutely. The
0: science now is catching up for sure. And uh, yeah, I think more and more uh, pet parents are looking at themselves now as, if not partners yet, as If these animals are our babies and our charge and are in our care and we care about them and make sure that they have a wonderful life as much as if they were human children.
1: Exactly. You know, and, you know, most people with animals love them as if they were family members, but they don't always understand them yes and and this is where things go haywire, which is probably when you get these emergency calls, (laughs) right? I know I get those calls. You know, (laughs) you know, my dog's doing this. Uh, Why do we? Yes, you know. So you know, our mission is really to help people develop their own ability to understand. Because one of the things that happens in the world is that there are uh, a lot of experts with opinions, and you get person A saying this, and person B saying the exact opposite, and they're both good people, and they both mean well, and so in the end. We really need to be able to have our intuitive channel open so we can say well for my dog is that right or for my dog is that not right you know and to be able to navigate uh the, you know the unknown things that unfortunately do happen you know health issues and so on and so forth behavioral issues and so our method is really to help people to find their what i call their north star which is their sense of what's right for them it doesn't mean when it's right or wrong in terms of a moral sense but it's what's true what mm-hmm. is true for you and your animal so sometimes like with a horse not feeling well, and we don't know what's the best herb to give them. We'll make a tea of both of them and offer both and see what the horse chooses. And the horse will invariably choose the one that the horse needs. And there's no way I could guess that, you know, and maybe an expert will say this or say that, but I need to ask the horse.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Bio-individuality. It's very real. So I just want to take an aside for a moment, because before we get into this amazing program that you created, but do you teach pet parents how to communicate, listen, and understand what their animals may be thinking and feeling?
1: Absolutely.
0: And can you tell us a little bit about how you do that? I know it's all about the intuitive factor, mm-hmm. but I'm sure that you have some you know, specific steps or exercises that you use with pet parents, not to go so deep right now, but just to yeah. give listeners a sense in case they're interested in learning this
1: sure well you know of course there's my book and then there's going to be a class so it's in that book yeah and then there'll be a class an online class that accompanies that so people can practice what they've read in the book so that's coming um like i was just working with this woman she's a research scientist very smart left brain she's actually blind but absolutely brilliant has a cat doesn't believe in any of this but she was curious and she said you know she has an adopted cat and she had some questions and so we did some work and the cat was very willing to communicate and i told her this stuff and it was really really helped her understand some of the behavioral problems that were happening in the house that were bothering her and because we had this conversation the behaviors changed and that convinced her and so she told her friends and her friends were like are you becoming a (laughs) woo-woo? You know, it was like so shocking. What do you mean you're talking to your cat? What do you mean you're just talking? What do you mean when you're talking? (laughs) But what was interesting, the cat's name was Jupiter, and the cat had lots to say and lots to say about Jupiter's past lives, which she's not a person who believes in past lives, or not yet, or anyway. But anyway, Jupiter was explaining about his life in Egypt. You know, he had a life in Egypt, and, uh, you know, it's very interesting because, I mean, there's no way I could make this stuff up, you know, <laughs> like why would why would I yeah. come up with this? Yeah, so it's been very, very exciting to recognize that, you know, there isn't this hard line between our consciousness and their consciousness. It's a soft line. Now, it may be, if you're just starting, it can seem like it's um, as far as Mars to be able to talk and listen to animals. But if you have a true desire to do it, you can learn, you know, and somebody who doesn't believe in it, maybe they're going to have a tough time, but somebody who's willing and when they see, you know, sometimes when an animal communicates something to them, it's just jaw dropping. <laughs> you know, uh, It's just like, okay, I think I better pay attention.
0: Wow. And the fact that the behavior change,
1: Behavior changes. Yeah. Like I That's had this
0: for someone who doesn't believe that is
1: amazing. evidence, It's Real- evidence. Tangible yep. evidence. Exactly. I had this one client and she asked me to come over because she had she had rescued greyhounds and one of them had passed and the other one was doing very poorly. And so she got another one, but her heart, she hadn't done her healing yet and her heart was still broken about the one who had passed. And the new one began pottying in the house and she's a absolutely fastidiously clean person. You could eat off her floors, you know, she's one of those. And this greyhound was, you know, doing the whole business on her rugs after being walked so she'd take him out for a walk in the morning on her way to work you know and then inside the house boom and you know it was she was thinking she had to rehome this dog because she just couldn't handle it anymore and it was making her late and causing stress and so we had a communication session And I asked the Greyhound what was going on, and the Greyhound explained that there was no room for her in the house because the owner was to her heart was she felt like she needed to be loyal to the dog that had passed. And she realized that she wasn't really opening her heart to the new dog. And once we had that conversation and she cried a little but she she felt that it was true that, and I didn't know any of this. I didn't know what that story was. But as soon as she recognized that and, and chose to open her heart to the new dog, Everything changed. So we went 18 months, no accident in the house. And it was happening like almost every day.
0: Wow. Wow, wow, wow. We're going to (laughs) talk. Let's move forward because it's a half hour show and I could talk all day with you, Jeannie. So this amazing program that you talked a little bit about uh, at the top of the show, the Act Resilient Method that you teach veterans. um, Talk a little bit about this. Tell my listeners, like, what's involved in the program and just a couple of the statistics of success that these poor people who are tortured when they walk in have in this program.
1: Yeah. So I did write a book about this. It's called The Act Resilient Method. It's on Amazon. So people want to see that work, the earlier incarnation of what we're doing now. They can read that. Our current program is called Canines Teach Compassion and that uses the wisdom of act resilient plus the therapy animals so we're bringing both of those things together into the classroom to work with kids who are in counseling like last year we worked with kids who had lost a parent to covid you know so we're working with kids who are having a lot you know lots of emotional issues and you know high school is it wasn't easy when we went to high school it's like a hundred times harder now with school shootings and all the the, you know just very stressful to be in high school these days and you know in fact speaking of school shootings all of these school shootings were done by someone who is completely isolated socially isolated and one of the things that we find is that kids who have good social skills do well in high school and kids who are struggling with social skills are going to struggle academically also so we use not use but we we partner with the dogs I don't want to say use because that's kind of the wrong method, but we partner with the animals to help the kids learn about their own nervous system, about their emotions, about their energy, and about their stress levels and also about their goodness. So without even having to talk, you know, we don't use words so much. We bring them into their sense of goodness about themselves. And the first principle in canines teach compassion our program is that you can't feel compassion towards someone else until you feel it for yourself. And so that is where we bring in that concept of goodness, good doggy, good person, good doggy, good genie, you know. <laughs> you can say my name, but you can say your own. <laughs> it's really wonderful. So we teach the kids that one of the first things we teach them is that dogs have emotions and energy just like us. They have stress just like us. We teach them a, a 10 scale. 10 is like the worst stress of your life. And in dog terms, it would be dangerous. You Someone's going to get bit a 10 you never want to be at a 10 but it does happen believe me i've had thousands of hours in the shelters it it happens okay so red zone yeah the red zone it's really an awful place so and one would be just very very peaceful the dog is in a sleepy state if you make a noise it might open an eye but they're going to go right back to sleep and and in between so we teach them how to recognize that in dogs and within one class they've learned to within within one point recognize dog's energy level so i'll say what's sophia right now and they will say she's a three Great. How do you see that in her body language? So they identify it through the way the dog is behaving, what ones we've taught them. And then we say, okay, what's Bailey? Well, Bailey's a six right now. Great. Okay. So where are you right now? And then recognizing that it's the same for them. They could be at a one or a two or a six. And this is not a personality trait. This is something that's changing like the weather all day long. You're going up and down the scale of energy and the scale of stress. And why that's important is that we Once we teach them that, when they walk in the room, we ask them, what's your stress level today entering the room that we're working in? And they're often coming in at sevens and eights, you know, high stress levels these teens are feeling just chronically. And then we're interacting with the dogs. We're teaching them these methods of learning how to manage their own emotions. And we ask them what they're feeling. We see between 50 and 60% drop in stress levels across the group every day. Wow. So, that's pretty exciting for one hour of engagement. And again, it's not requiring anyone to share anything personal, what's going on in their life if they don't want to, although they end up talking. <laughs> we had one boy and he was uh, a little younger. I don't know if he'd skipped a grade, but he was like, didn't look like he should be in high school, really young looking and just maybe about 80 pounds. And he was so shy, he didn't talk at all. Like, Nobody had ever heard of talk. I mean, I knew he could talk, but he was just too shy. And we had this 130-pound bull mastiff dog, which was literally like twice, almost twice his weight, right? And therapy dogs, as you know, are not allowed to lick people. And that's not part of the therapy dog rules. But this dog, you know, said hello to everyone, greeted everyone. But he picked this one boy, and he just started to lick him and lick him and lick him and lick him and he started giggling and the whole class started laughing it was such an amazing thing for this boy to see this dog chose me out of all the kids in the room he said hi to everyone he was, liked everyone but he picked this dog picked him this is my boy <laughs> And after that, he started talking. He couldn't shut him up. He just was, <laughs> what are we it. doing next? What What's happening today? What about this? What's this for? What are we going we to do this? You know, it was just, it was so wild. Oh, wow. He just. It was like the light switch went on. You know, it just, it just, it's really, that's what a dog, a great therapy dog can do.
0: <laughs> so powerful. And you know, this generation that's in high school and college now, they are in an epidemic, a mental health epidemic, they Absolutely. are. They have the highest depression, anxiety, and suicide rates of any generation. They're yeah. one of our largest generations. They're our next leaders. So, programs like this are especially powerful to help these kids who had tremendous fallout from COVID, from the Great Recession. So, bless you. Um, that's yeah. amazing. We need to take a break. So we're going to hold that thought. But when we get back, I want you to tell people because there are definitely listeners out there who have kids who are Gen Z kids who might need support like this in their school and might want to know how to reach out. And then I also want to talk about the. Precursor program and the kinds of things you did with these veterans that changed lives, saved marriages, saved families, because they were outside the box, certainly for the time thinking that really got results. Plus, we have a couple of stories that Jeannie is going to tell you about dogs that just blossomed like that boy in the class. So, (laughs) so. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio.
1: Pet Life Radio. Radio. Radio.
0: PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. If you've just joined, you're listening to the Pet Health Coach with Jody Teich. We talked about how your Canines Teach Compassion program in high schools is having incredible results for Gen Z, this one of our largest generations who suffer from epidemic levels of anxiety, depression, suicide, and there are next leaders, they need help. And you are in there helping them and working on expanding this program, which is a beautiful thing. What I want to also talk about is, and towards the end of the show, I'd love for you to tell people where they can find you. So if they're interested in maybe getting your program into their kid's school, this is something that maybe you can help them with. Um, But the precursor to Canines Teach Compassion called the Act Resilient Method, which focused on veterans, had incredible results and had like techniques that were outside the box thinking at that time that sort of brought your previous life into that present life. Tell us a little bit about that, a couple of the statistics too.
1: Yeah. So ACT Resilient, we work with over 4,000 service members as well as veterans and their families because it really is a family system when you're talking about PTSD. So whenever possible, we want to work with the entire family, including the dog, because if you've got stress with a veteran and then it goes, you know, it goes downhill to the wife, to the kids, and then the dog gets kicked. You know what I mean? And often, you know, when we see behavioral problems, sometimes the dog is expressing what the humans can't. And so, we have to look at the whole system. So that's, you know, one of the things that I really discovered there. And as I mentioned, we were just having really extraordinary results with people. I had this one Navy SEAL hospitalized with PTSD and on our 10 scale he was an 11 all the time you know and you know his children were afraid of him at breakfast you know it was just you just didn't know what was going to happen and so yeah. we taught him these methods and we taught the kids too so they could give him a signal when they wanted to come him to come down they would put up i um, holding up two fingers that's the two meaning he was at an 11 but they wanted him to come down to a two and he recognized that it was affecting his children and the dog, and that motivated him to change. You know, even though he wasn't necessarily motivated to change for himself, he thought he was fine. (laughs) <laughs> but when he saw what it was doing to the children and to the dog, he said, maybe I better change. And it was like that decision that changed it for him. He he began to, and we taught him how to do it, but he, you know, we showed him how to manage his nervous system so he could bring himself back down from an 11 to a 2 in the course of seconds, you know, because these techniques, they have to be fast in order for them to work. And so I a lot of what I understood about working with trauma, I was able to take into the shelter when I was volunteering. And animals can be traumatized the same way humans can. And the shelter is a very traumatic environment. And so everything that's in my book, I literally learned from working with the animals in the shelter. They taught me how to work with an animal that was disengaged and frightened, traumatized, shut down, and how to get them to trust life again and to trust people again and how to come out of their shell.
0: Wow. Wow. Also, I I saw in, in a couple of the videos that I watched of this Act Resilient method that you would have them do exercises that were improv, taken from the improv world, and really get them out of their own head and into their bodies and movement and acting and acting as if. And that seemed to have a lot of success too. So- Yes,
1: yes. Because,
0: yeah, we just don't know who's listening in terms of what their family situations might be like and how programs like this might be lifelines for them. So, yeah, that's
1: the book. The Act Resilient Method is kind of written for the person who is experiencing trauma. So it's not like an academic book and it has a lot of exercises and things that people can do in practice. So
0: Perfect. Now. In your Canines Teach Compassion, you find shelter dogs and you train them and you give them a, a beautiful second chance at life to do good. I remember watching a video on your site about a dog in particular named Buff. And I'm going to ask you to share that story. It's a lovely story.
1: Yeah. So Buff's again chose me I was volunteering there and he was in a play yard and all the other dogs were playing except him he was so traumatized he was crouched in the corner wouldn't move was like you know is this dog dead (laughs) you know I mean he just was so frightened and I began I was on the other side of the fence because I was observing it was a training session and I just began doing energy work with him. I just began communicating with him, letting him know that he was safe, that he was loved, that he was good. And finally, he finally was about 20 minutes. Maybe he decided to make a beeline from all the way, On the other end where he was hiding all the way to me so he could be right up against me on the fence so he could just touch you know we had a chain link fence between us but we could touch and that was the beginning of me saying oh boy he chose me I have to work with him now so (laughs) I really just dropped everything and began working with him he was afraid to be touched he was afraid to make eye contact and eye contact isn't normal for all dogs some dogs if they live in home they're very comfortable making eye contact but for other dogs it can be really really scary and challenging and confrontational and one of the things I discovered in the shelters was you know like right now at our shelter we have 537 dogs and a shelter built for 200 so it gives you some idea what's going on here and they are doing everything they can to get them out. But I would say to people who adopted a dog, I'd say, why did you pick that one? You know, there's 416 dogs here and you picked that one. And they'd say invariably, oh it's the way he looked at me I couldn't leave him there and I realized okay this is the first thing after we teach them sit we've got to teach them to be comfortable with eye contact because a dog that can come up to you at the kennel and look you in the eye is going to be really hard to leave in that shelter and but the scared dogs what they do is they cower in the corner they shake and people are afraid to scare them more so they just keep walking and these dogs never get seen they never get asked out. And so we, we teach them to do this. So with Buff, you know, I began working with him and would take him out for ice cream and he was terrified going out. You know, just the world was such a scary place. But we got to the place of, of working with him where he became my demonstration dog and massage class. And he would just look at you and look at you and look at you and he loved it and he got adopted right away.
0: Yeah. Well I want you to tell people where they can find you because on your site they can see the video a buff and he's always smiling. It's yeah. beautiful. So tell people where they can find you.
1: So we are the So don't forget the the humananimalconnection.org and you can join our free newsletter. You can get the book that tells all of these methods and has a workbook in it so you can practice these methods for yourself. So it's available on Amazon and of course we'd love to hear from you if you'd like to write us. We do consultations for people over Zoom if you're not here in Tucson.
0: Beautiful. Jeannie, thank you so much for the beautiful work you're doing and the lives that you've changed. And thank you so much for being on the show. Thank I you. I appreciate you. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you all for listening. As a pet health coach, my mission is to share holistic healing options for pets and their parents seeking a natural approach to wellness. So tune in next time for information, expert interviews, and tips to give the animals we love the longest and most vibrant life we can. I'm Jodi L. Teich, and this is the Pet Health Coach. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.